Good evening. Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, we are so aware of what a strange and surreal week this has been for us as we are uh, mourning the loss of such a good friend of ours. Not only our pastor's dad, but a friend to so many of us, our small group leader, pastor. And so uh, tonight uh, just feels a little bit strange without him here. And so we are pushing forward and we are loving on our pastors as well. They're not here today, but I want to uh, just encourage you to keep praying for Pastor Dan and Anna and Cheryl and their family. Uh, Joyce just told me one of the ways that we also can just uh, help them in this time is that we're putting together some meals for the family. And so if you're on base camp, I think that has been sent out or is going to be sent out. And so you can sign up, you can sign up there to just help with that. And so we will need your help on that. And so um, not knowing how this week would go, we, we reached out to a really good friend of ours to just come tonight and help us pastor this moment. And I'm so excited and, and uh, appreciative of Fabian just saying yes to us tonight to say, hey, I'll come. Um, I, I told Carrie that when I was asking him, he almost said yes before I finished saying, hey, will you come and just be with us? And uh, Fabian is such a, a longtime friend of the Grecos and and Pastor Dave was a, a mentor to him, and I'm sure he's going to share a little bit about that. But if you don't know who Fabian is, Fabian is our uh, Assemblies of God, New Jersey youth director and missions director and church planting and a million other things director. He does a lot, and we're so glad that our friend is here. Would you welcome, just give a life tree welcome to Fabian as he comes to share tonight. Amen. Well, good evening. It's, uh, it's been a rough week. Um, I just want to, first of all, share with you condolences from our network office, uh, Pastor Don, uh, Pastor Frank Reitzel, and uh, the team. We sent our condolences to the church. Uh, Dave was special to me. It's actually funny. I, I want to share some funny stories a little bit. I mean, it's not, not a funeral, but I want you guys to catch. I know you guys knew his sense of humor, right? So uh, Joyce and Gordon know this because they have a, a son down in, in the Bridgeton area. I, I was youth pastoring down in Bridgeton uh, when Dave and I first met. Uh, he was coming down to Millville to do something for the network. And he goes, hey, I want grab, to grab a coffee with you. I'm like, yeah, there's no coffee places here in Bridgeton. This is back when, all right? And <laughs> this, is, this is back 1993. And uh, he goes, what do you mean? I go, dude, there's like... There's not even a Dunkin' Donuts in town, man. So he goes, well, meet me at the one over in Vineland. And there was one in, on Landis Avenue near the old Bible book nook. And, and I told him, I said, I don't know if I can survive being down here. I'm a city kid, Elizabeth, New Jersey, plopped down in Bridgeton, Cumberland County, Farmville, USA, whatever you want to call it. That's kind of the way it was. And so, so we talked, and he encouraged me, and that was the beginning of an amazing relationship. But... Every once in a blue moon, I would get this package from 88 Federal City Road, which was where the old district office was, and I thought it was like a book. I'm like, oh, great, sending me a book. I would open it up, and there was an empty Dunkin' Donuts cup with a napkin saying, thinking of you, friend. <laughs> that's, right? That's Greg. I mean, that's just the way he is. So, uh, you know, and there's, there's plenty of others that I could share of him, but, um, you know, the he mentored me as his assistant district youth director for a few years and, and when he took on the missions role in the network office my desk was right across from him and he was always encouraging even from Mexico when they were in Mexico they would always send encouraging notes and um, Dave was how are you doing right 
He would always, how are you doing? That's what he would ask you. And he wasn't like, I'm doing fine. Fine was never a good enough answer for him. No, how are you doing? He would always ask that with a follow-up, right? And so I had the opportunity of, of not just being mentored by him once, but in my new role, which I took over last October as church planting director and, and missions director, which is what he did before he went to Mexico, um, he, he decided to mentor me again, and we spent the last six months on Zoom calls. And the Wisdom Diner, has anybody ever been invited to the Wisdom Diner with Dave Greco? Okay, now there's a booth that is going to be sacred of mine in that place when I walk in there. But the amount of wisdom that that man poured into my life is amazing. And you know what? We're not going to grieve as people who don't have hope. We, we have a hope, and I'm going to share about that in just a little bit. But uh, I want you to know that we are praying for you as a body. We're praying for Dan and Anna. Um, I lost my dad five years ago. Um, so, you know, some people sit there and say, I know how you feel. That's probably the stupidest thing you'd ever tell a person in a, in a situation if you've never gone through it. But I went through it, and I know exactly the pain that's there. And, and so we, we want to remember them in prayer. And before we conclude tonight, we're going to gather together and we're going to pray for the Grecos, for Cheryl, for Mel, for Jen and their families as well, okay? Um, but, but tonight I want to kind of talk to you about being stuck in a moment. <laughs> Has anybody ever been stuck in a moment? It's called COVID. <laughs> I, almost, I, almost, I almost changed it to stuck in a COVID moment. But um, in all honesty, I know that you guys have been going through the, a series on joy. And uh, maybe this week, uh, the events of this week have kind of put you on, in a stuck situation, right? And so it's good to know that the Word of God is a place where we can go to for hope, for comfort, for direction uh, in times like this. And uh, no one better than, than, than King David, I believe. Um, I'm going to kind of open up with that and then jump over to, to the Apostle Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians. But uh, in, in Psalm 63, David was running for his life. It wasn't, it wasn't a joyful moment. It was, he was stuck in a place that he didn't want to be in. Um, and it was because of circumstances beyond his control. His son had usurped the throne. And uh, his life was on the line, and he was running for his life. And he, read, he penned these words, Psalm 63, verses 1. It says this, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you. Can we just stop for a moment? Whether it's COVID or whether it's the death of a dear friend, do you ever feel that way? Like your soul is just dry? And it needs thirst. He goes on, he says, Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with the marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Powerful, powerful passage of scripture. And you know, it's interesting that I, I love the, the worship team singing that song, All My Life You've Been Faithful. And it's, it's, it's amazing. But there's another song that they just put out, the, the Helsers just put out on the new uh, Bethel album. And I was listening to it on the way over here. And the line is simple. You are good in the land that I am living in. Let's stop for a moment because there are times that the land we're living in is desert. He's still good. There's times in the land that we're plentiful. He's still good. 
there is an eternal land where my good friend Dave Greco is living in, and he's in more than good shape right now. And we believe that, right? So how does that play into where we're at today? What does it look like to us being stuck in a moment? And I was teasing Kevin and, and, and uh, Dre. Um, I'm a big U2 fan. Any U2 fans in the house? You know, you've got to put yourself together. Right, okay. <laughs> you feel my vibe, right? You're stuck in a moment you can't get out of. The difference between you two, and I love Bono, the difference between Bono and David and Jesus is you can get out of a moment that you're stuck into. You were never meant to be stuck in that moment. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that's kind of where we're going to park the rest of this evening. And it's interesting that 1 Corinthians 13, the first eight verses, you must have heard them a thousand times at weddings, right? Love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle, love is... Why are you making fun of that? Because you know what? That's, that's beautiful, but the honeymoon comes, the honeymoon's over in, in verse 9. I don't know if you ever read that. Some married couples don't read the whole chapter. <laughs> Verses 9 through 13 bring, give us a wake-up call on, okay, hey, love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle, oh, forbearing, no, 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 no. This is what he says in, in verse 9 through 13. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now verse 10 is, I mean, verse 10 is probably the wake-up call of weddings. It's the wake-up call of life in general, when the perfect comes. Uh, I'm not a big fan of TV preachers who talk about your best life now. just going to leave that one there. All right, because I've seen enough in this life to realize that my definition of a best life isn't the same definition of his as a best life. And Paul affirms that by saying we're not living in a perfect world. In a perfect world, we wouldn't be mourning right now. In a perfect world, we would not be struggling with situations of employment and economy and different things like that. We're not living in a perfect world. And Paul says that. He says, when the perfect comes, on this earth, we will never be in a perfect environment. We will always look towards that perfection. And that's why he says that one day we will see the perfect. We will see just as we are meant to be seen. Perfection is really not a reality in this world. It's not one to be obtained. And if you find perfection, please give me a call. Let's bottle it up and let's make some money on it because <laughs> there's no perfect situation in this world, right? Uh, until we realize perfection, we're given three things. And those three things have got to be the foundational point to our walk in this world, right? And they're faith, hope, and love. You're sitting there saying, this is probably the most simple message. And you're right. Uh, a, a third grader could have written this. And you know what? You have to be like a child to really enter the kingdom of heaven anyways, right? So faith, hope, and love. Let's look at these. These are our reality, right? There's faith. And what does faith do? Faith brings about focus into a situation. All right? Faith is that we are doing we, what we are doing where we are in this journey to perfection in Christ is not in vain. That's what faith is about. I'm tired of it. I've seen it. I've lived it through different uh, in ministry where faith, you name it and you claim it and it happens. And that's not faith. That's a false sense of faith. You know, faith is not necessarily in the outcome of the situation. Do you hear me? 
Faith is not in the outcome of the situation, but faith is in the hands of the one who holds the situation and understands the situation. See, that brings focus onto it. Um, I've become a professional photographer with an iPhone. Anybody? Oh, you see me afterwards. I got some great shots of my wife. She hates it because I do the portrait shot, and she looks so pretty. She looks really beautiful when I do the portrait shot. But you know what the portrait shot does? The portrait shot basically focuses in on the object or the person and blurs everything else out. And that's what faith does. Faith is a portrait shot of life. Faith brings focus into who Christ is in our life, and everything else is blurred. Death is blurred. Everything else is blurred. Death is still there. It's in the background. It's part of life. Hello. But the focus of life is Christ. The focus of the faith is Christ. And I love what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. He says this. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, faith is trusting in who God is. That what he said is true. I had a conversation not too long ago. Like, how do I believe God? Why could God, why could God do such things like he does? Well, God doesn't do those things. God just says, hey, if you trust me, guess what? I'm going to hold you. I'm going to hold you. I'm going to hold you in some amazing times. I'll never forget. I'm going to tell stories tonight if that's okay. Uh, Michaela broke her finger uh, when she was 12 years old. Okay, don't judge me. I've got three kids. The oldest one, we would be in the emergency room real quick. You know what I'm talking about. That firstborn, the minute there's a sniffle, ooh, whatever the case might be. The second one, it's a little different. The third one, it's like, ah, suck it up, kid. It's going to be all right. You know what I'm saying? Are you, are you with me? Anybody, anybody a third child, then you know what it was like, right? Okay, not when the hand-me-downs, right? So we're, Matthew and Andrew, we, we're a fun family. We, we kind of like do pillow fights to kind of alleviate some stress and all that kind of stuff. And my, my son Andrew loves the Tempur-Pedic uh, pillows, which are like 45 pounds, okay? So he decides to lunge at my daughter with this 45-pound pillow, all right? And my daughter protects herself by going up like this, and her finger went back a little bit. And she's like, ah, you know, whatever. And I'm like, it's ah, sweetie, don't worry about it. Just put some leaves on it, put some dirt. That's, that's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Whatever the case might be. We Brian Regan fans, they know exactly what I'm talking about. So, so, so we're, a couple of days later, we're, we're at some friend's house, and there's a nurse that looks at it. She goes, you really should get that finger checked out. I go, why do you think, bro? She goes, well, it shouldn't be that color. I'm like, oh, okay, no worries, whatever. So my wife conveniently has a hair appointment the Tuesday that I'm supposed to take my daughter to the doctor, right? And so convenient. Well, ladies, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Convenient hair appointments. Gentlemen, you know those things that we have to do. It's like, what are you doing today? I'm getting my hair done. Really? You're sending me to this situation? So I get in there. Old German doctor looks at it. He goes, oh, finger is broken. Like, it's different colors. He goes, why are you no come sooner? I go, my wife, she had to get her hair done. You know? <laughs> and so I, but, but here's the key on it. He goes ahead, he goes, I, I'm going to take it, care of it. I'm just going gonna, gonna to take the pain away. I'm going to inject it and, and make sure it's all feeling good. And, you know, I'm thinking he's going to put like a shot in her arm and it's just going to go through. This guy takes a needle, goes right to where the pain is. One single scoop, my daughter's crying, Daddy! And he takes a pencil and goes pop, pop, breaks it and resets it right there and there. Yeah. yeah. Jeez, that's exactly the face that I had. I, 
This Argentinian was about to pop this doctor right in the face. He goes, I'll fix. And he walks out. And I'm left with my 10-year-old daughter, and she's going, and she hugs me, and she says, thank you for not leaving me. At that moment, I had a glimpse into what faith is really about. And I believe that the surgeon knows what's happening. And as we're weeping for a friend who's gone, he's here. He was there at the cross when, when, when he had to turn his back because he saw too much sin on his son. He's here when he sees the pain in our lives. That's what faith is. That's what's trusting, knowing that he's in the room, even though I'm not getting the comfort that I think that I need at the moment. It's enough to know that he's there. You see, because as, as a writer of Hebrews, not only does he say, another, another uh, translation says he's the architect of faith. He's the architect of our faith. I love that one. Because, you know, how many, any, any architects in the house? I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm going to. So my dad was a builder. And uh, <clears throat> every time he'd get a new project, our dining room table would just, like, forget it. My mom would yell at him because he'd come home so excited. After dinner was done, he'd just roll out the plans, and he would just look at these plans every night. And uh, I remember him saying, because I, I wanted to study architecture before I went into the ministry. He goes, listen, he goes, architects are stupid. I said, Dad, they, they drive around in BMWs. They got really nice houses. How could you say they're stupid? He goes, listen to me. They design it on paper. They got no idea how to put the thing together. Okay? And my dad worked in multi-million dollar homes up in the Chatham area with the rounded walls and all that. And he would say some choice words to the architects when he would put these walls together, right? And he said, I don't like these architects. He goes, there's one, though. He goes, I like Bruce. I go, all right, Dad, why do you like Bruce? He goes, Bruce was a builder. And Bruce, when he designed something, Bruce shows up to the job with his hard hat, gets out of his beamer, comes up and swings a hammer with us and kind of helps us with some of the difficult walls. That's just like Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Jesus is Bruce Almighty, right? No, kidding. Just think of that for a moment, right? Are, are you with me? He not only designed life. Imagine if we had a God who designed life and walked away from it. That would be no God to me. But faith gives me focus to understand that the same God who designed life walked this life for 33 years understood the pain, wept at a best friend's funeral before raising him to the dead, which I don't understand. I would have just said, hey, forget crying. Come on, Lazarus, get out. But so that he would know the pain that you and I go through, that's the kind of person that I want to put my trust in. And that's where faith brings focus. Amen? Are you with me? All right, I promise you, I'm only going to be another hour and we'll be done. <clears throat> so not only does faith give us focus, let's look at the second word. The second word is hope. And I love what Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 says. It says, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hope does not disappoint. So if faith gives us focus, Hope gives us motivation, right? Now, let's talk a little bit here. Are there any teachers in the house? Okay, any English teachers in the house? I didn't like English growing up. I took it a couple of times. <laughs> That's how much I liked. Oh, she's raising her hand. Okay, hold, I'm sorry. I, I still love you, Joyce. 
But why, the English word hope is stupid. It's just hope. It's, like, it's got nothing to it. It's got nothing hope, right? Hope, what is hope? H-O-P, hope, nope, dope, hope, hope, right? I'm Argentinian, I told you that already. Any Spanish people in the house? Nobody? Spanish? What's the Spanish word for hope? Esperanza. Now that's a word. <laughs> hope, esperanza. Come on, somebody with me here? You got hope, esperanza. How many would rather have esperanza than hope? Okay, but here's what's interesting, right? And in and, and, and your Spanish, you got to say esperanza with, with a little bit of passion. All right, but, but in all honesty, the word esperanza, the root word esperanza has the word esperar in the middle of it. And esperar means to wait. What does hope have in the middle of it except the hope? I don't know. But esperanza means to wait with anticipation. So when I have hope, I need to be waiting with anticipation. And let me tell you, there are days when I look to the sky thinking Jesus is coming back that day more than others. And Tuesday was one of those days. Because hope doesn't disappoint me, right? Now, Brother Dave and I loved food. We ate food all the time. <laughs> he would come preach down at the church at Bridgeton on a Wednesday night, and we'd take the god-awful canoe that he'd make me sit in the back of, and we'd fish. But we'd go to the Golden Pigeon for breakfast at 5 o'clock in the morning. You guys know where that's at. It's the only restaurant open 24 hours down there in Bridgeton. And we would go to the Golden Pigeon, and this sucker would order a liverwurst onion sandwich at 5 o'clock in the morning. That reaction by everybody who saw what he was eating, as well as, under, as well as me who smelt it while he was eating the rest of the day while we were fishing. But, but, but we both love food, and I, and I love food as well. I, I, I might have shared this story here. I'm not sure if I did, but I, every Christmas Eve... Phil Caparelli, who pastors Kingsway Church, him and I have been friends for a long time. We do our, we call it the pursuit of happiness. Okay? And I, and I, believe, I believe Brother Beretta, our former, former superintendent, used to do this as well. So we, we go down on Christmas Eve to, to uh, 9th Street down in South Philly to the Italian market, and we pick up our spread for Christmas Eve. And um, listen, for those of you who are American, Jesus was born at midnight, okay? He wasn't born at like 9 in the morning, so open the presents at 1201. All right? Just plain and simple. All right, but we celebrate, Argentines celebrate Christmas all into the night. So we, we go ahead, I get the prosciutto, I get all that, and usually we get really excited about two weeks out, Phil's like, hey, are you ready? I got to clear it out, I got to clear it out. We get down there, we park the car, and the, they're all selling their produce, and you go by the, the poultry store, and you could smell the fresh chickens getting slaughtered, and that doesn't smell too good. But, and you walk down a little bit more to De Bruno's. De Bruno's is the place we like to go to. De Bruno's probably... It's as wide as the red uh, curtain to the edge there. So it's not that big of a store, right? So it's packed. I mean, around the corner, people are waiting there. And you're just excited because you can smell the provolone around the corner. Life is good. Life is really good. We're just, we're, we're esperando. We're waiting. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Esperanza here? Like, we get there, and you get there, and these guys are phenomenal, man. They're just, they just love life. They're there. They're, they get tips, so they work real good. Like, hey, I got this 4,000-year-old goat cheese. You want to try it? Here you go. Hey, try a little bit of this. Oh, yeah, hey, bud, cut a quarter piece of that. Hey, you got to try this thing this thing's been aged next thing you know six hundred dollars like what the world happened but here's the kicker on it i take that home and my boys want to pick at it all day long I'm like no no 
not until after church, when we come home after Christmas Eve service, then the party begins. But the anticipation that that creates, and if food creates that anticipation, imagine the esperanza of our soul longing to be with our creator, and as well as those that have gone before us, because that gives me motivation to live. The day knowing that I'm going to see Jesus face to face, and I'm going to be reunited with Dave Greco, I'm going to be reunited with Brother P, who I love dearly, I'm going to be reunited with all of those that have gone before me, that brings me hope and motivates me to walk another day. Are you with me? So hope creates an urgency, doesn't it? It's not, you don't sit back. When, when we're in an imperfect moment, hope gives us motivation. A loss of hope causes complacency. And this is the hope that where we are today isn't where we're always going to stay. That's the beauty of it. I know they said the pandemic was only going to be three weeks long. Governor Murphy, you lied. Anyways, I'm star. I'll stop right there. Uh, it's not a political statement. It's not. All right. Listen, I don't bring politics into church. There's no place for it. Okay. But the truth of the matter is this. I want this thing to be over yesterday. But it's not. But I wake up every morning saying, maybe today is the day. Today's the day that we don't have to see each other in masks and all that other stuff. And you know what? I can't wait till the day when things are perfect. Maybe not the way that they were before this thing. Because they weren't that perfect the way it was before this thing either. I don't know if you understand that. But the day that we see Jesus face to face, no masks necessary. Nothing's going to be necessary that day. It's just going to be us and him. And that's what I'm looking forward to. So we have hope that gives us motivation. We have faith that gives us focus. Let's look at this last one here as we're kind of wrapping up here. Finally, it's love. And I love it because the, the, Paul, the writer of Corinthians, says, you have faith, you have hope, you have love. Listen, if you can't deal with faith and you can't deal with hope, at least deal with love. That's basically what he's saying. That's Fabian's translation of that. If you, if, you can't, if you can't deal with the motivation of hope and you can't deal with the focus of faith, at least love, right? He says this in, a, in another passage of Scripture, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So faith gives us focus, right? And hope gives us motivation. Love gives us something that each and every one of us needs, and it's called perspective. If you can love like Jesus, your perspective in life changes totally. If you can love the way Scripture, if you can love like John 3.16, giving up your only son for a world that would spit on him, that gives you a different kind of perspective. You see, love is experiencing life through Jesus' eyes. And uh, Romans 5.8 says, that while we were yet sinners, Christ demonstrated his love and died for us. While we were yet sinners. So how do you gain perspective? Perspective is your viewpoint. And if you're always doing your viewpoint from yourself and not from a place of love, what was me, I'm hurt, this is this, this is that, this is, and I mean, I was in that place. I just got to be straight up with you. Around October of 2020, my wife had to slap me because I was having a hard time with it. I was like, honey, this has got to stop. She goes, you're going to church. She found one of our Assembly of God churches that were open, and she took me there, and sure enough, it was great, it was great for me. But, but here, here's, what, here, here's, here's the key on it, the perspective, the point of view. When it becomes about us, then, then we, lose, we lose perspective. We lose the fact that our neighbors need Christ. We lose the fact that those around us are dying and those around us are valuable. 
When we use, lose love, when we lose that perspective of love, then everybody is just, just a person. And, 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 and we, we treat them differently. We treat them, and it's interesting because we saw this all happen in, in, our, in our country with the racism and all that was going on. You see, because here in the Eastern or the Western world, we talk about the adjective before we talk about the, uh, uh, the noun. Like Kevin, Kevin is a tall man. I'm a fat man. He's a tall man. Dre, he's a balding man. You know, I'm sorry, I went there. Those are good friends of mine. But, but, but do you understand? I'm going with the adjective first. Where you go to Israel, you go to different places like that, he's a man who's tall. The word is valued on the individual, on the noun before it is on the adjective. And the value comes to this man happens to be graying on top. This man happens to be a little plump. But do you understand that that perspective of love puts value on the person as opposed to what the person is about? And if we can begin to think that way and we can begin to process that way, this world will be a lot better. People would sit there and say, wait a minute, the love you're talking about isn't the love that they're talking about TV. It's not the love that anybody else is talking about. This is some weird kind of love. What kind of love is it? What's well, the love of Jesus? And it's love that gives us perspective. It's love that, that, that a God would send his only son to die for our sins. It's a God who, who um, while we were yet sinners, would, would die for us. And perspective, perspective changes things. When you get a different perspective and you sit there and go, oh, I see that now. Does that ever happen to you? I was... 14 years old, and I don't encourage any 14-year-old to ever do this, so please, I apologize on this one. Okay, this was a better time, a different time. We didn't have hand sanitizer back then. We weren't allowed to wear a helmet when we rode a bike. You know, those simpler days when life was life, right? Um, I grew up in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and uh, I decided one day to go to New York City without my parents. I was 13 years old. We decided to do it... Um, Skip out on middle school. We all met in front of Alexander Hamilton, and we took the train in from Elizabeth into New York City. There was four of us. No cell phones, no hand sanitizer in New York City. That's, that's rough right there, you know what I'm saying? Uh, no parents to watch us. Uh, I don't know what we were thinking. If it was my kids, I would have probably locked them up, you know what I'm saying? It's just, but, but, but at 13, 14, how many know sometimes we don't have a lot between our brains? I'm, I'm 51, I don't have a lot between my brains right now, but... So here, here's the deal. We get, we get, and you all know New York City real well. So, so we get to um, Penn Station or underneath Gar Madison Square Garden, and we're like, hey, what do we want to do? You know, let's eat a pretzel. Let's eat a hot dog, dirty water dog. You got to get a dirty water dog anytime you're in New York City, right? You got to have one of those. So we had one of those, and we look pretzels, and we're like, hey, let's go to the Empire State Building. Like, yeah, 13, 14. We have no idea where the Empire State Building is in comparison to. Madison Square Garden, but what do you do when you're in New York City? You hail a cab. So we hailed a cab. Four of us hail a cab, and we're inside the cab, and this guy spoke no English whatsoever. Again, if it was my 13, 14-year-old, I'd be freaking out right now. But I'm sitting in the back seat of this cab, sick to my stomach, driving with a guy from some country who never got a license to begin with, going in and out of traffic, 25 minutes later, drops us off at the Empire State Building and charges us $40. And we're like, here you go, buddy. We're all sick to our stomachs. It was just crazy, whatever the case might be. So we get up to the top of the Empire State Building, and to our surprise, Madison Square Garden is only a half a block away from the Empire State Building. <laughs> and then we're looking at these little yellow matchbox cars that are doing this in and out of traffic, and we're sitting there going, Wow. It looks a lot different from up here than it does down there. And the perspective of life 
through the eyes of Christ when he is sitting in eternity and he's looking down and knowing exactly what each and every one of us is going through is different than us sitting in the backseat of that car going through life and trying to figure out what in the world's going on here. So the perspective that God has is different. If we can love like Jesus, we can have that perspective like Christ. And that perspective changes everything. We don't know the whys of this world. I'm sometimes tired of asking why. You know, the, the whys might never be answered, but the hows are in Scripture. It's the way of love. Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for the good. You mean the death of a friend? I got to trust God on that one. I don't know why, but he's going to help me trust him on that one. For all things work together for the good of them. You mean losing someone to COVID? You mean the economy? You mean having to go to church in a different way? For all things. All things work together for the good of them that are called according to his purpose. That's perspective. So if he loves his son, Jesus, and he loves his son. I, I love my kids, too. I, I told you I, was, I joked about all three of them. But there's, if something happens to one of them, forget about it. You know, you're not, don't, don't mess with me. I, I, I'm going to go to town on you, man. That's my kid. And yet our God gave up his son so that we might have life eternal. That's a perspective that I can't really figure out. And that's why Paul says that. He says, listen, he says, because for we now know in part, we don't know it all. And that's where we have to trust a God who sees everything, who's on top of the Empire State Building, theoretically saying, and sees the traffic jam and the different things that we're going through and says, hey, I know it. I got your back. You're going to be safe. It might have cost you a little bit, a little bit of pain, a little bit of suffering to get to where you're getting to. But guess what? I got my eye on you, cab number 512, and you're going to get here eventually. I got my eye on you. You're going to get here eventually. And so tonight, as we are kind of closing this up, I don't know where you're at. Again, I haven't spoken here. I think it was, I think it was January 2020, I think. You guys were doing a series on David. That was the last time I spoke. It was over at the Seventh-day Adventist Church across town next to Taquerito. Thank you, Jesus, and De Lorenzo's and Halo Pub. Have I told you I love Robbinsville? <laughs> Robbinsville's amazing. So when Dre said, come out and speak, I'm like, yeah, I'm coming. You know? But, but here's the key on that. We're here today. A lot has happened since that day. A lot has happened since the last Saturday that you guys have met. Some of you are feeling stuck. Some of you are don't know how to emote the situation. I gotta be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know. There's particular songs that him and I would make fun of. The other night at a Teen Challenge Choir, they sang the song and I wanted to text Dave and say, guess what they're singing? <laughs> but I got a God who brings life into focus with the faith in Christ. Gives me hope that one day I'm going to reunite with him, but more than him, I'm going to reunite with the one who gave his life for me. His name is Christ. And third, I love. And my perspective is to love. If we could love like Greco loved, we're going to be doing okay, people. But more than that, if we could love like Jesus, we're going to do even better. 
And so t- tonight, I don't know where you're at. If I can just get Nikki to come on up and just kind of play the keys here. I know you guys are wrapping up in just a few moments, but maybe tonight you just need some special prayer. Might not even be pertaining to, to Greg passing. Maybe you're going through something. Wow. It's not been easy. We lost my wife's brother yesterday to COVID. It's not easy. I know people, neighbor two houses down, the ambulance came to get her, her husband, stage four pancreatic cancer. Crying because she can't get in to see him. So we're ministering to her because it's a perspective of love. It's going around everywhere. I don't know what your situation is right now, but I can tell you that if you're stuck in a moment, it's not eternal. The moments that we're stuck in here in this world, they're not eternal moments. These moments are moments where we depend on the faith. Remember that portrait shot. Let everything be blurry but the cross. Let everything be blurry but who Jesus is. That hope that one day we're going to see him. One day there'll be no tears. One day we're going to be celebrating with those that have passed on before us. That motivates me. And third, I want to love this world like my Savior loved. So as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, if there's someone here today, just say, Pastor, can you just pray for me? I'm, I'm stuck in that moment. We're going to pray for the Greco family in just a few moments, but right now, this is your time. This is your moment. Maybe you've been going through something not too many people know about, and that's fine. We're not going to have you stand, but just as every head's bowed and every eye's closed, just kind of slip up your hand and say, Pastor, can you pray for me today? I'm really stuck in a moment. Amen. There are hands that are going up all throughout this place. Just trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, you see the hands that have gone up, Lord God. You see, Father, the the vulnerability that my brothers and sisters are saying, hey, I'm, I'm in this moment. I don't know what to do. God, I pray that as they have heard the words of the Apostle Paul, of the Holy Scripture in Corinthians, it says that the three that abide are faith, hope, and love, that, Lord, they would bring into focus their situation and trust you for it, Lord God, not in the outcome, but more in the process, more in the one who holds that outcome, which, who is you, Lord God. Father, I pray for each one that raised their hand, Lord, that their faith would be true biblical faith in understanding that, God, you have their best interest at hand and you're holding them through this situation and through this moment. Secondly, hope, Lord God, I pray that they wouldn't give up, that, Lord, they would be reminded, whether it's a song or a psalm or just a testimony of another friend here at Life Tree, that, Lord, you would just give them the hope to carry on, that esperanza, that waiting with anticipation that it's not going to stay the same way forever. God, I pray for them. And Lord, and for the perspective. Lord, may they, even in the moment where they might want to have a pity party, may they, Lord, look at our Savior Jesus, who loved selflessly, who loved even when he was hurt, who loved even when he was broken, who loved even when we weren't deserving of that love, may that perspective be in our minds and in our hearts. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
here's what I like to do. I just, I'm a person that's a very visual person. Um, and so, uh, Gordon and Joyce, if you don't mind, you're, you're our connection point to Danny and Anna. I'm going to have you guys come up, and we're going to just use them as a connection point. They're family. They're the in-loves. We don't call them in-laws. We call them in-love. I have a daughter-in-love, not a daughter-in-law. But uh, we're going to believe God together. I'm going to ask the, that the pastors and maybe the eldership and the leadership come up being next to this couple, and uh, they're standing in the gap for the Grecos. That's what we're doing with them right here. Okay? And I'd like us as a church to extend our hands towards them. And again, this is a point of contact. This is not anything weird. When it's, you know, we're just, they're so close to Anna and Dan. And we're just going to pray right now for the Grecos. We're going to pray for Cheryl. We're going to pray for, for Jen and RJ. We're going to pray for uh, Mel and Noah. Because um, there's some situations with that. I mean... <laughs> My heart broke not just for, for Cheryl, but for Mel is not getting the news until she landed in Mexico as her missions director. That was one of the hardest things I had to pray about. But we're going to just pray and believe that the Holy Spirit, here's what the scripture says. If we believe God to be true, does everybody believe God to be true? Okay. He says that he's the God of all comfort and all peace. All, let's capitalize that. A-L-L, comfort, A-L-L, peace. Not some comfort, some peace. If we believe that, that's what we're going to pray right now, that that comfort and that peace would undergird the Greco family during this time. Lord, we come to you right now, and Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, in that powerful, powerful name of Jesus, that name that is peace, Jehovah Shalom. God is our peace in the midst of troubles. God is our, midst, our peace in the midst of, of pain and in sorrow. And Lord, I pray over Dan and Anna, Lord God. I pray for the grandbabies, Lord God, all of them, Lord Jesus. Lord, from Ethan to the youngest, to Jesse, Lord God. We just, we just pray for them as they're in pain in this moment, Lord God. There's an emptiness inside of their heart that none of us could fill, but only you can fill, Lord God. So we're praying your Holy Spirit come and minister to them, Lord Father, to Cheryl, Lord God. Lord, her best friend, her high school sweetheart, Lord God. We pray in the name of Jesus that you be the God of all comfort and the God of all peace to her during these times and Lord even after the family dissipates and goes her separate way may she look to you and, and understand the how she's going to get through comes from you Lord God for Jen and RJ Lord God we pray upon them Lord upon their family Lord God we ask that you would minister the peace oh Father Lord just like you calmed the storms at times and at other times you bidded them to come and walk in the water. And you're asking the Greco family today to get out of the boat and to walk in the storm to meet you, Lord God. Lord, you're not going to calm this. We don't know if you're going to calm this or when you're going to calm this. But right now, in the midst of that storm, Lord God, Father, I pray that they would find safety and focus in their faith on you, Lord God. Father, as a congregation, Lord God, May we think of creative ways. And thank you, Lord Father, for the, Lord, the, the, the food uh, thing that's going on. But also, Lord Father, let us be sensitive to this family and pray this family through. For, Lord, it's not just this week, but it's in the weeks to come that they're going to need our support and our love and our prayers, oh God. So, Father, give us the perspective of love as we minister to the Grecos, Lord Father. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in that powerful and strong name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. Amen.